Well, good morning. Thanks, Daniel, for this opportunity to be here. And before I get into my message, I'm gonna divert a little bit. Just wanted you to know that this end of this month is Daniel's third month as our lead pastor. And for those of you who wanna show your appreciation to Daniel, Thanks, brother, thanks, brother. <laughs> so, has anyone here been searched before? Oops, that's not gonna work, is it? Oh, I have ears. Okay, there we go. Is that all right? Okay, has anyone here been searched before? Some people, I, not, I don't want to know that, you know, hands on the hood, spread your legs, please. No, 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 that's not the search we're looking for. And um, I've been searched, and uh, I have an audio clip of my search. You play that, please, guys. Anybody recognize that? Anybody traveled before? The airport one day is walking through what the uh, airport, what call it the airport, the Golden Arches. And so you walk through this device and it goes off and they say, back up, sir. You walk through again and I set it off again. And so they bring you to the side and they say, uh, you'd like, you have two choices, sir. You can either go on that machine or we can wand you down. Well, that machine was a full body X-ray and I didn't know who would see it and when, so I said, no, thank you. <laughs> and the other one was this, this uh, wand that they run by all parts of your body. And when they got to my knees, it went off like crazy. For those of you who have had knee replacements, you know what I'm talking about. So I'm sitting there and I'm kind of chuckling, but these, <laughs> these guys didn't know what to do first when the, the alarm went off. So it was funny at the time, but that was a search for something tangible. And what we're gonna do today is we're not gonna talk about searching for an object. We're gonna talk about searching for something in our character, the essence of who we are. Search me, O oh God. So here's what we'll be covering this morning. I've been taught how to use this, so hopefully it will work. Um, we're gonna talk about God is. Some of the attributes of, attributes of God from the Psalm that you heard read this morning, Psalm 139. We'll be talking about prayer, and prayer is. We've been talking about prayer all summer, but I'd like to go into a little more detail about actually how we pray. And I have some suggestions, but uh, they're only suggestions. And finally, the all-important ending is our role is. What do we do? Now, a bit of a spoiler alert here. Um, I'm gonna start with the end, and then I'm gonna go back to the beginning. So, search, ooh, search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Look at those imperatives. Know my heart. Test me, know me, point out, lead me. That's not the blood-pumping heart we're talking about here. 
It's the center of our being, who we are at heart, right? What kind of relationship would you have to have with someone in order to ask those kinds of questions, those deep, revealing kind of questions? Would you ask just anyone? We'll get to that. Now, speaking of relationships, I want you to watch this video clip of a five-year-old responding to the question, what do you love about your father? Guys? JJ, what do you love most about daddy? Um, he, he, he lets me go camping and, and lets me open my knife. And, 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 and he comes and gives me hugs and be generous. And, and he snuggles me and he lets me do Lego and lets me do bow and arrows and, and, and helmets and nerf guns. Whoa, sounds like you have a really fun dad who likes to play a lot with you. And has Oreos with me. Oreos. That's our five-year-old grandson, JJ, you needed to know. Let me just set the record straight here. It said, open my knife. Um, they're a real outdoorsy kind of family, camping, canoeing, fishing. So when you catch a fish and you want to cook it, you have to fillet it, which means you have to have a knife. So that's where that one comes from. Whew. You ever been searched before? <laughs> and now as we look at Psalm 139, I want to see how David expresses his love for his heavenly father. So first of all, we're going to talk about God being omniscient. God being all-knowing. So that part of the, am I going the right way here, guys? There we go. There we go. No, that's, okay, I'll take a course. Oh Lord, you've examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel, when I rest at home. You know everything, everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge. It's too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. Wow. First of all, let's look at what else the Bible might say about God knowing something about us. In Matthew 6, 8, your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. He's got us figured out. Luke 12, 7, and the very hairs on your head are all numbered. I give God less work to do every year because he has to count fewer hairs on my head. In Psalm 139, David's listing a bunch of traits that he sees in God that he has experienced personally through this all-knowing God. Now, a potential misinterpretation here would be to read these verses, to understand these verses with the sentiment Big Brother's watching. So Thomas Long in the Journal for Preachers gives this parody 
with some modifications from yours truly. Um, in the style of this psalm, but it highlights the wrong way of looking at God's omniscience. So if you'll give me a bit of leeway here. Oh Google, oh Facebook, you have searched me and know me. You know when I'm home or out shopping, you count my likes from far away. Oh Amazon, you discern my searches of my shopping habits and are acquainted with all my purchases. Even before a transaction is on my keyboard, oh cyber powers, you know it completely. That's kind of creepy, isn't it? How many people think that's true, right? <laughs> oh, by the way, um, sidebar, you know, but you, I'm gonna make sure you, you know, you know that you can't always trust Google when you do a search, okay? I typed in, because I'm doing some research for this, I typed in, when did King David write Psalm 139? Those are the exact words I use. You can do it yourself when you get home. When did King David write Psalm 139? Sure enough, the answer comes up, really quick, and in font this large, it said, 1983. <laughs> so, <laughs> Google, thank you. So what we read about God is often beyond our human comprehension. Just look at the creation story, that's where faith comes in. God is above all that we know or can understand. That's, that's just part of his nature. On earth, even a know-it-all doesn't know it all. Only God is omniscient. Okay, I left us behind. So God is omnipresent. That means he's everywhere. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. There we go. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night. But even darkness I cannot hide from you. To you the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. Darkness and light are the same to God. So what else does the Bible say about this? Well, in Psalm 121, what? In Psalm, no, I don't want that, guys. I'm supposed to be pressing the up button, right? I'm looking for Proverbs 15.3, there we go. The Lord is watching everywhere, keeping his eye on both the evil and the good. And in Jeremiah, can anyone hide, me, hide from me in the secret place? Am I not everywhere in all the heavens and the earth, says the Lord? So the Bible talks about God being omnipresent. He's everywhere. And this should be a constant source of comfort for us. Wherever you go, you will find God in that place. There's no place you can go to avoid God's loving reach. His presence can be experienced at any time and in any place. God has promised us that he is with us always to encourage us, to energize us, to help strengthen our resolve, to help protect us and stand up with us and for us. And also, God is always around to offer his loving arms, his comfort when we need it. 
when we're in a tough situation, an emotional roller coaster, or just sick and tired of being in isolation. He's there. God's looking out for us. Like a loving parent would be. He is able to make sure that we are protected physically, spiritually, and emotionally. God's presence is everywhere in the universe. Now the last of three gods of God's traits we'll be talking about today. God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. And the psalm says, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. What kind of power can cause a person to be formed and born? When we look at all the intricacies of our bodies, how is it that this might just be assembled by chance? Uh Uh-uh. What kind of power does it take to determine all of someone's life before they're even born? That's someone all-powerful. That's our God. And here's a couple of more passages that refer to God's omnipotence in Matthew 19. Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible with God. Everything is possible. And in Romans 11, for everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. But before we go much further, I wanna make an observation about this psalm so far. Up to this point, all of the references David uses has been, have been in the second person. For you grammar nuts out there, hopefully you'll follow me well. He uses you and your, not he or him or his, which some of the Psalms do, and there's nothing wrong with that, but I wanna point this out for Psalm 139. It sounds kind of impersonal though when you say he, him, his. The use of you and your gives the psalm a bit more of a familiar tone, more vulnerability. It just sounds more relatable. So let's go back. I want to do. I want to do this. I hope it's not wrong. Look at the verses. I'll take, pick 13 and 14, and I've taken the liberty to to do a what if, and what if we substituted the third person in here, and compare that to the actual version. So. You made all the delicate inner parts of his body and knit him together in his mother's womb. Thank you for making him so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well he knows it. How does that sound? How do you feel after hearing the emphasis on the third person, you know, he, him, his? Now let's contrast that with the actual wording. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. Now, isn't the information in these verses substantially the same? But isn't the actual version so much more personal, more reliable, 
more relatable, more impactful. And that's how God guided David to write this psalm. And I believe that this is how God wants to relate with us. And I'll get into that a little later. And now back to the last two verses as part of this passage. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. This is David's just, his sheer wonderment at what he's already stated about God's character. His omniscience, his omnipresence, his omnipotence. And again, made more personal by the use of I and me. David's wonderment about God's qualities. Now, just imagine you go back to that video about um, my grandson JJ and why he loves his dad. He knows a lot about his dad because he talks with his dad. He goes fishing and camping with his dad. He does Legos with his dad. He eats Oreos with his dad. He interacts and communicates with his dad and his mom too. He wouldn't be able to express his love if he wasn't involved at a very personal level with his mom and dad. It's the same with our Heavenly Father. In the Psalm, David is showing how much he loves his Heavenly Father by bringing to our attention all the wonderful things that God has done for him and with him. And it shows us God's omni-qualities. He can do that because he has experienced these personal interactions. Don't you want that for your life? And as Monty Python might now say, and now for something completely different. And this is part, this is is the toughest part of this psalm. I'll call this the, the appeal for retribution. Let me read it. Oh God, if you would only destroy the wicked, get out of my life, you murderers, they blaspheme you. Your enemies misuse your name. Oh Lord, shouldn't I hate those who hate you? Shouldn't I despise those who oppose you? Yes, I hate them with total hatred, for you are, for your enemies are my enemies. Whew. Anybody kind of going, hmm. <laughs> David throws a real change up here at us, doesn't he? Where, where did this come from? He's just spent 18 verses extolling three of the wonderful traits about God. And now seemingly out of nowhere come these, these fiery lines. Well, did a bit of homework. And in a very concise article entitled, this is the name of his article, Do I Not Hate Those Who Hate You, O Lord? Colon, the verses we skipped. So theologian and teacher John Piper categorizes these four verses as ones which call down divine curses and express hatred for the enemies of God. The theological term is imprecatory, but that, don't worry about that. There are, there are about 10 psalms like these in, in the book of Psalms with these, this kind of language. So David's focus here is on the treatment of God and God's name by the enemies of God, by the wicked ones, as David implies. And if they're enemies of God, then they're enemies of David. And the hatred that's seemingly stated in the passage, Piper calls 
moral repugnance and not personal vengeance. For me, as I was reading through this, I believe that these verses came to David as he was praying and lifting up those three traits of God in the first 18 verses. I think he suddenly realized that not everybody worshiped and loved God as he did. And his attention suddenly turns to those wicked ones and he refers to them, refers to them as enemies because of their contrary attitudes and actions. So these lines of seeming hatred are not really David's, but David's alignment with God toward those who hate God and deny who God is. So let's go back to where we started, and that's the end. And here I wanna use another version of the Bible called The Message, because I believe that the wording, the wording used shows even more clarity and transparency in David's request to God. So here it is. Investigate my life, O God. Find out everything about me. Cross-examine and test me. Get a clear picture of what I'm about. See for yourself whether I've done anything wrong, wrong, then guide me on the road to eternal life. It's been said that this psalm, this prayer of David was, was written when he was made king over Israel. David wanted to make sure that he was right with God before he started on his journey to lead the Israelites, God's chosen people. So let me ask the question. What if you prayed this prayer to God? And what if God does give you a very clear answer to this prayer? What if he says that something about you is sinful? It's wrong. It needs correction. That's the kind of scary part for most of us, right? I, I looked at it and went, Phew, I don't know if I want this. Well, Rick Warren, who's the pastor of Saddleback Church in California, says, when you genuinely pray those verses from Psalm 139, God will show you the right way. He's not gonna play games with you, and he always forgives. Even when he points out that part of the problem is, con is a, even when he points out that part of the problem is the conflict, in the conflict is you. God, as God reveals to you the sin in your life, you must take responsibility for it. It means you always get right with God. Your job is to admit any part of the conflict that was caused by you. Getting right with God can sometimes be a challenge, but it will be the right choice. It's always the right choice. And being follower of Jesus isn't always easy, but it is the right choice, isn't it? Amen? Thank you. <laughs> David ends his prayer of Psalm 139 asking for God's help to point out all his faults and his blind spots so he can be the best follower of God that he can be. Isn't that what all of us want? So I want for all of us to identify and join with David's plea for God to search us and know our hearts so we can get to know God better, receive his answer, and understand it when we say, search me, O God, and know my heart. So all summer we've reviewed scriptures that are prayers. We've understood what they mean in our lives. What I would like to do now is to take some time 
to talk about what's been implicitly assumed, meaning when we pray, what does that really look like? How do we pray? What do we say? Is there any direction or guidance about what our prayer time with the Almighty might look like? Now, what I'm gonna go through is it's not a prescription, it's not a firm, you gotta take out this book and do this. It's, it's simply what I'll call some guidelines. Um, it's what I've learned from scripture and taking a couple of courses on prayer. So simply stated, prayer is having a conversation with or communicating with God. Conversation. And effective conversations typically have two components. Talking, which we're very familiar with, and listening. Husbands and wives, you know this well from your experiences, right? Yeah, there's a little bit of this going on, right? It's the best way to learn more and understand more about the other person. God already knows everything about us, he's omniscient. So when we pray, we get to know God better as we talk and when we listen to him. I'll elaborate on this in a second. Some of you may already have your prayer practice and that's great, um, keep it up, keep going. Uh, me, me, I'm a structured kind of guy. And there's some people going, yeah, I know Les, he's a structured guy. Um, and, and that's how I like to treat most things, including my prayer. And, and just, just as an aside to a little self-defense here, in the creation account in Genesis 1, God demonstrates a ton of structure and process. He didn't just speak everything into being, boom, once and it's done. No. He did it in a very ordered and deliberate manner over six days. And that's my defense, okay. What I'll review today is an acronym that can help us remember some key elements of our prayer, and that acronym is TRACK. Remember the acronym, and we're gonna keep our prayers on track. Let's do a quick tour through the acronym. T, thanks for thanks, T stands for Thanksgiving. What are we thankful for? Our stuff, stuff that happens to us, events, people, character, relationships, and what about my sense of humor? Um, these, by the way, some of these uh, scripture references I'm gonna make to didn't make my PowerPoints in time, so my fault, I apologize. So if you're taking notes, I will pause when I mention the, the scripture reference. First Chronicles 16.34, First Chronicles 16.34. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, his faithful love endures forever. Giving thanks to God for what he's done, it's, it's pretty special. And I think in general, most of us are pretty good at that. R, requests, also known as supplication, or just asking for stuff. We write out and we memorize our prayer lists when we want for stuff to happen. And I think we're pretty good at that one too. John 4, 13 to 14, John 4, 13 to 14. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son of Man can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Now there's a whole context thing here, I won't get into that, but feel free to read John 14. Sidebar, 
sidebar and requests. Kids ask their parents for stuff all the time, don't they? Toys, video games, candies, Oreos. All the time, right parents? Any parents here, raise your hand if you've experienced this with children. No? Okay. You have great kids, a lot of you then, obviously. Do parents say yes to every single request? Put up your hand, parents, if you said yes to every single time one of your kids wants something. Nobody, right? Sometimes the answer is yes. Sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes it might be a qualified yes. Yes, you can play your video games, but you have to finish your homework first. And the last and the most testing answer for children is wait, maybe later. Any parents or kids or former kids identify with these four answers? Yes? So God does always answer prayer, just not always with the expected yes that we're looking for. But because our Heavenly Father knows all, remember, he's omniscient, and he knows what's best for all of us, despite what we in humanity might think or want. Sometimes that's a tough pill to swallow. There are situations in our lives where we are left totally dumbfounded and without words when God does not answer in the affirmative. And that's tough. I don't have any answer for that. Only God does. And yes, maybe you're tempted to walk away and just chuck it all. Don't do that. Because in the Bible, God's word gives us some support and encouragement. In 1 Corinthians 10, chapter th- 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, this provides hope. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience, and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, not if, when you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. Keep this in mind if you ever feel like you're getting to the end of your rope. I'm gonna skip the A, but uh, we'll go to C for confession. 1 John 1, 9. 1 John 1, 9. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Now we all know what that very uncomfortable word confess means, but if you're like me, this prayer component is not used nearly as much as the other ones. Everybody's really quiet. During our recent week of prayer and fasting, Pastor Daniel sent out regular emails. Here's a paragraph taken directly for one of those emails. Yes, Daniel, I did read it. At least this one. On this first day of fasting and prayer, let's take time to reflect inwardly 
and see areas in our lives that we need to confess, repent, and put right. We know that our Lord is gracious, loving, forgiving, and compassionate, and all we need to do is acknowledge our sin, faults, and failures. Maybe there is someone you need to go to in order to ask them for forgiveness. Or maybe we need to humble ourselves and take responsibility for some action or intent. Is there someone that you need to reconcile with? Thanks for that reminder, Daniel. So confession is not always, always to God, but there's a reconciliation part with another person whom you may have hurt. Confession is critical in our relationship with God. From Psalm 66, verse 18, if I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. This means that to even get God to listen to our prayers, we need to confess our sin. If you have unconfessed sin in your heart, God wants to hear about it. And now lastly, the A stands for adoration, and this is where most of the content of our psalm fits in today. Adoration means to cherish, to love, to worship. In Psalm 29, verse two, honor the Lord for the glory of his name, worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. In adoring God, that's the A in track, tell him all the good things you learn about him as you spend time with him. Now, occasionally, not always, but occasionally, try and put aside the thank yous and the requests. Just acknowledge God for who he is, his special traits, his character. Just like our grandson's video. What do you love about your heavenly father? Now, does God deserve our adoration, our worship, our love? You betcha, you betcha he does. Why? Because he is God, he is Yahweh, he is the great I am. And these are the kinds of topics we've reviewed in Psalm 139 this morning. Remember, God is omniscient, he's all-knowing. God is omnipresent, he's everywhere. And God is omnipotent, he is all-powerful. So we've talked about how you get to know someone. Don't you have to interact with them, talk to them, play golf with them? Well, it's the same with God, except for the golf part. Uh, to get to really know him, you gotta have that relationship. Then the T, R, and the C stuff flow back so much more easily and so much more deeply. So I hope I've provided you with um, a way to keep your prayers on track. We pray and if we listen, God can speak. Okay, Les, you're kind of freaking me out a little bit here. God speaks? How exactly does God speak? How can I know if he's speaking to me? Well, God can speak a number of different ways and evidence for those are all in the Bible. I'm gonna tell you a little bit about them now so I'm not making them up. So, God can speak audibly. God's voice can be heard just like a normal voice. God spoke to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He spoke to Abraham when he went, 
when he told him to go Mount Moriah, God spoke through Moses many, spoke to Moses many times. Secondly, in a dream or a vision, God spoke to Joseph in a dream. God gave Ezekiel a vision for what the temple, the rebuilt temple would look like. God can, can speak through others. The prophet Nathan confronted David on his sin with Bathsheba. And God spoke to Pharaoh through Moses. And lastly, in that still, small voice. God spoke to Samuel in a whisper, which called him into God's service as a prophet, after which he had direct dialogue with God. So God does speak to us, he can. And what he says, though, will never ever contradict his word. So if you do experience any of these, and you're not really quite sure, if is that God speaking? Because sometimes the devil will try and get in there and make it sound like God. Try asking Daniel. Or any of the, the staff members or an elder or someone that you are aware of who knows the Bible really well. Oh, and a sidebar, another sidebar. There is no quid pro quo in prayer. In other words, please God, if you do this for me, then I will do this for you or the church. <laughs> there's no deals, there's no negotiating with God. Purpose of prayer is to submit ourselves to God and his will. God's kingdom come, God's will be done, not our deal be done. Our prayer focus should not be on any deal that we think we can make with God, but should be focused solely on God. Some Bible characters tried to make deals with God and it didn't turn out so well with them. A couple of names that come to mind are Jephthah and Abraham. I'm not gonna go into detail. But remember, God knows everything and we don't. So where's the wisdom in trying to make a deal? Proverbs 25, 2025 says, don't trap yourself by making a rash promise to God and only later counting the cost. And this quote I found from a, a reverend named Robert Haley. A fearful prayer uttered with a desperate bargaining with God, ment God mentality is a prayer of mistrust. God will take care of us and our loved ones, even if we do not understand his will. So we've looked at Psalm 139. We've got insight into three of God's fabulous traits. We had a bit of a tutorial on prayer, and now, so what? How is this all supposed to tie together? And most importantly, what are we supposed to do about it? Well, our role is, we're gonna use the tools that we talked about today to nurture and strengthen our relationship with God by reading his word and really diving into it and meditating on it and getting all we can out of it by praying with God conversationally and by being vulnerable and transparent when we go to him in prayer. And these are all fundamental building blocks of our relationship with God. Jeremiah 17, 10 says, but I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. It's no use trying to hide anything from God. Honesty and transparency will go a long way, not only with God, but with people that you know as well. That's what makes search me, oh God, so critical. So we talk about these three traits of God. We talked about prayer, and we talked about our role. 
So where do I go now that I understand the topics and how we're gonna apply them? Prayer is a tool. God's word is a tool, very, very powerful tools. And as we become more proficient in using these tools, these will help us to fulfill the mission that God gave to UAC, to lead people to know Jesus Christ and to follow him passionately. But to do that, we first have to know him to some degree. We do that through prayer and reading our Bibles. And the more we know him, the more we will want to follow him and have others come alongside us. So here at Unionville Alliance Church, how do we see this happening? What's our vision? Oh, I missed that. We are going to touch those in our church, in our community, and in our world through Jesus one life at a time. Through our prayers, asking, search me, O God, we can help that one life we touch through Jesus to understand who God is and what God is like. Understand what prayer is and understand what our role in the kingdom is. And just maybe, just maybe with that special enabling, that one life that we touch can touch another life for Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for Unionville Alliance Church and all of our people. Help me, help us, Lord, to know you better by keeping our prayers on track. Lord, you are a holy and loving God. You provide for all that we need. You're the one who searches us to uncover all that is not pleasing to you, and you help us deal with it. Lord, I confess that I have not been diligent in seeking you regularly. Please help me with this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Amen.